Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. The two plaid boys up here, Paul Mancano, Bobby Blanco. If you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, you can tell that we are uh, unapologetically plaid today did not plan for it, but yeah did not plan for it uh of course at paul mancano on twitter at bobby underscore blanco on twitter you can like rate subscribe anywhere that you're listening to this on apple podcasts google podcasts soundcloud spotify wherever you're hearing this give this a like a subscribe a review uh, and review our shirts because um bobby went with the bolder colors today yeah kind of a red white and blue type red white yeah a uh, gray Get, red and blue getting some like memorial day some fourth of july yeah. day vibes from you it's starting to be spring it kind is of can break out the lighter colors you're lighter so that's i am nice. i am a lot lighter and amy did not get the notice amy jennings our producer is not wearing Just plaid solid definitively. blue uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about what we've seen so far from the o's particularly on the rotation side the pitching side Trying to get a, a good idea of where these pitchers stand at this point, a couple of weeks away from opening day. Who's going to be in the, the rotation? Are we going to have a normal five-man rotation? Is it Could it be larger than five? Could it be smaller than five? Could we get some openers? That kind of thing. And then to close it out, we're also going to listen to Eve Rosenbaum, who I sat down with down in Sarasota just about two weeks ago. And uh, if you've seen that interview already, there's even more in this part. This is a longer version, but it is uh, the full conversation that I had with Eve, who is the Orioles' new director of baseball development. Interesting conversation, so we'll talk all about that good stuff. But let's go to what we've seen so far, the results so far on the field. By the way, Chris Davis still absolutely mashing. Yep. Ridiculous what we've seen from him so far. It's good signs. Mike Elias was asked about it. Uh, by C. Molesky recently during a Orioles.com spring training broadcast. He said, we don't want to get caught up in spring training results, but we love what we've seen from him so far. And how can you not at this point? Yeah, I think we touched on it a little bit last week too. It's it's what you're actually seeing, not on the scorecard, not in his box score, but what he's putting out on yeah. the field. His swing looks good. It, looks it just really looks good. different. I don't know what it is about it. We talked about how much muscle he's added. He's stronger. He's able to push the ball a little further. Some of those balls aren't dying in the warning check like they have been um, over the past couple of seasons. Again, it's still early, but the swing looks good. He battled off. He he drew a full count walk against Max Scherzer the other day when the uh, Orioles made the trip over to West Palm Beach to face the Nationals. Um, he hit a ball really like that was low and outside. It went foul, but he I mean he still put a nice swing on it, made contact. That's the Chris Davis that Orioles fans want to see that we've got to love back in 2014 and 15 when he was just putting strong barrels on the belt on the ball um, and taking his pitches and drawing some walks as well. And that's kind of surprising that he has been drawing so many walks because he said he wanted to be more aggressive coming into this spring. He didn't want to see too many called third strikes go by, which we know has been an issue for him. Mm -hmm. uh, he has seen a lot of called third strikes in the past couple of years. So to see him actually drawing his walks, I think is interesting because now he's, he looks like he's retrained his eye or he's got a better 
a clearer view of the plate at this point so that he's able to lay off those pitches while still being aggressive and taking hacks on pitches in the zone. Yeah, and also just being more patient. I think a lot of the frustration, not just from that we've seen from fans and the Orioles front office, but Chris Davis himself, a lot of the frustration is from his pitch selection. And I think we see him, you know, how many times over the past couple of years watching him at bat and you see a ball right down the middle that he just watches it go by. Or you see a ball go, like the ball, or the ball go down and away and he just swing at nothing. I think the pitch that he drew a walk against Max Scherzer the other day was like a really, it was just a a slider that got away from him. It was low and outside, maybe even inside because Max is a righty. And Chris just let it go. And that's a pitch he would have swung at a couple years ago or even last year. Um, so that's in and of itself a good sign. Small things like that. His pitch selection is good. And if he just barrels the ball, he talked about how much stronger he got um, adding 25 pounds of muscle. Um, the ball is going to fly off yeah. his bat if he get, if he makes contact. So that's bit, I think that's where he, the starting point. Make contact and then go from there. Uh, and so his pitch selection so far at spring training has been excellent. Six games so far for Chris Davis. Five hits in those six games. Three homers, seven RBIs, and just one strikeout compared to six walks. Very encouraging stuff so far from Chris Davis. But the offense overall has been outstanding for the O's. Yeah. Um, I mean, Rio Ruiz is having an outstanding camp so far. He's hitting 6-11. It helps that they've played teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, a handful of times. Have they, they won yet? Yeah. What's that? Have, have the Pirates won yet? I don't know yet. Honestly, uh-huh. they the not to the Orioles. They yeah, haven't beaten no, the Orioles. Um, the Pirates, I think, are probably like two, almost two years behind where the Orioles are now. <laughs> they are at the very beginning stages of their rebuild. I mean, I know it's early spring training, but when you see these two teams play, they're light years apart. Yes. Like the Orioles, in terms of they're both rebuilding teams, the Orioles look like they're a couple years away. The Pirates look like they're five plus years away. Yeah. It is not going too well in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, other guys are having a great camp so far. Hanser Alberto is hitting 350. Anthony Santander is hitting 412. All good signs so far from the offense, but... We pretty much have an idea of what this infield and what the outfield at this point is going to be for the O's. So I want to get into the starting rotation and what we've seen from the pitchers because we've seen some good stuff on that side as well and kind of look at, you know, how this this rotation battle is bearing out so far. Um, so let's start with the guys that clearly are locks, I think, at the top. Uh, John Means, obviously. He has been... Um, Fine so far, just yeah. good, and yep. and that's all that he. I think he was much better in his second start. His first start, he struggled a little bit, partly because of the wind. Um, but even after that, Brandon Hyde said he looked like he was in midseason form. His pitches were working, all good on John Means. Front. His second start, he was able to cruise through three yeah. innings on Sunday, which was a very good sign. Um, the fact that not only he went multiple but three and did it on a fairly small pitch count, I yeah. believe. He got through two, and it was like around 25-ish, maybe less pitches. So he was able to go three, which is a good sign that he's just mowing down guys already. Yeah, he's on the right path. I mean, this is, you you know, it's spring training is so bizarre in so many different ways, and, you know, you don't need your starting pitcher. He's going to give up runs. That's fine because he, he, they're working on things. They're just trying to figure out their plan. They're trying to tweak some things here and there. Um, I think John Means is on a great path to uh, a good start to the season, uh, the way his spring training has gone so far, especially his last outing being very encouraging. Yeah, so overall the numbers so far, four and a third innings, uh, two earned runs, and five strikeouts in those four and a third innings. He No um, walks. No walks, also a good sign yeah. as well. So he obviously is cemented in that rotation. The question is, 
where in that rotation because the next lock that you have for the rotation has got to be Alex Cobb at this mm-hmm. point. Of course, health dictates everything. When Alex Cobb reported to spring training to camp in Sarasota, he was asked if he is looking forward to trying to start on opening day again because, of course, he was designated as the opening day starter last year and wasn't able to fulfill that task because of injuries and, and you know, didn't make it out of May. So is Alex Cobb now? He, he And he answered that and said, you know what, I'm just looking to be healthy at this point. He's not looking to be the opening day starter. Sure, he probably would like to at some point, but he's just looking to get through the season healthy and to get through spring training healthy so that he can get to opening day. But if you have both these guys who so far have looked fine, Cobb has been given very little um, time on the mound, only one start, one inning inning pitch, didn't allow any runs. Just the one hit. The one hit, and he was battling um, something not... Not like physically related, but in a cold. Yeah, so that illness. you know that kept him from uh, going further into that outing. But you have Alex Cobb, you have John Means there. You think at this point that John Means still has the leg up on opening day, and I don't think there's too much over the next couple of weeks that Alex Cobb can do to to change that. Yeah, from a workload workload standpoint, absolutely. I mean, obviously, we're seeing John Means pitching in games the only question is that they're both on the same pitch schedule so right now they're on track to quote-unquote start opening day if they continue to pitch every fifth day while John Means started a game on Sunday Alex Cobb stayed back in Sarasota and threw a side session or a sim game so they're on the same schedule which is leading them so I guess right that, that might just be a precautionary thing say for whatever reason uh, Alex Cobb just has a huge bounce back over the next week or so, and then is able to ramp up his innings and near the end of spring training, near the end of March, can say, yeah, I can go and pitch. I guess the Orioles are doing their due diligence and having him in line to start that opening day game if he's able to. But I think the way that John Means is able just to come into the spring training healthy, start right off the bat and and get his work in and not be – obviously he wasn't sick, and that's something that Alex Cobb can't really – help poor guy can't if he's he seems like he's dealt a bad hand every single time he tries to come in spring training or tries to help this team out when there was a bug going around right has has been crushing the order yeah, and of course alex, still alex cobb had to get it yeah. um but uh so but it is interesting that they're both on track scheduled to possibly start opening day i would say yeah i think john means has to get the leg up he pitched all season last year he's your ace of the future um you know he's gonna pitch a full spring training alex cobb is just kind of, I don't want to say limping along, but just trying to catch up, you know, yeah. in terms of he's a little far behind. So, But I think it is interesting that they're both in line to start opening day, and I think that might just be the Orioles having, like, a backup plan for both of them. You know, God forbid something happened to John Means, you need Alex Cobb hopefully be able to ramp up his innings and be ready to pitch opening day. And then if Alex Cobb never picks up pace and can't keep up with John Means, then you already have him in line to start against the Yankees. Right, and it doesn't sound like, obviously, there would be any hurt feelings on Cobb's side, despite the fact that he is the veteran and he got the nod last year. If he doesn't get the nod this year, I think he's going to be just fine with that. Um, So that helps as well. There's just such a positive stigma. I don't know what the the word is, but there's, there's so much weight that comes with being the opening day starter. Yeah. um, That, you know, that just because Alex Cobb may not start opening day doesn't mean that the organization won't like what they have seen from him in spring training. And so, and that, you know, that doesn't keep him from having a good year. Right. Um, but it would be a nice nod. Um, you know, it, it, it would be a nice 
thing to see for the future to see John Means start that opening day game. Yeah, opening day has always just been like a celebration more than anything. It's yeah. the first game of 162. Obviously, you want to put your best foot forward to start a new regular season, get your best guys out there. You want to throw your best starter out there. But it is more of a ceremonial thing than anything else because, you know, we're not going to be thinking about who started opening day in the middle of August. You right. know, it's not going to matter. Uh, we'll be focusing more on where – this team's headed, who's coming up uh, for the Orioles specifically. So, yeah, it's more of a ceremonial thing kind of than anything else. And remember, John Means wasn't even a starter uh, by no. the time the opening day. He was used more out of the bullpen. Yeah. I think his first couple appearances came in Yankee Stadium out of the bullpen. All right, other locks for the rotation. I think at this point, you probably need to slot Asher Wojciechowski in there. Yeah. Uh, so far in spring, five innings pitched, one earned run. He has looked good. Uh, he pretty much needed to just come in and, and have a fine camp, I think, to earn a spot in the rotation. Uh, and so far, he's done that. So I think Woj is probably going to be your number three starter if the season starts right now. Four strikeouts to just one walk over the five innings. Both of his outings, I think, telling are, have been starts. He's been opening the game. So uh, Brandon Hyde already getting him acclimated or reacclimated to starting ball games as opposed to coming out of the bullpen or being a long man, whatever the other alternative may be. Um, yeah, he's having a strong start again, kind of along similar to John Means. As long as he just keeps his path, keeps his workload, keeps his schedule, we should see him locked in probably around the three spot uh, come late March, early April. One other guy that I think at this point is probably a lock is Wade LeBlanc. He is pitching today. So I don't have those results in, obviously, yet. But so far, two innings pitched, zero earned runs. I think a couple weeks ago, he was probably viewed as a fairly close to a lock for this rotation. Just need to show that he was healthy. And I think he slots into that rotation as well. So you got a four spot. You, you got your top four, which honestly, I think is is... I don't know if I expected them to have one, two, three, four already lined up this way. Mm-hmm. But it seems that they pretty much have four starters locked into that rotation at this point. Yeah, it's good. And the thing about LeBlanc is that the Orioles need to know pretty soon because he, he minor league deal, he actually has a March opt-out date coming up because he's an older guy. He's 35 years old. So if he's going to be a part of this rotation, the Orioles need to know that and, and let him know that. Otherwise, he'll he'll just leave if he doesn't feel like he has a spot locked down. But I agree. I think everything he's done has um, pretty much assured him He's like number four. He has, he has to be at least number four on that on that list. Um, so there's no concern there. But it's just something to keep an eye on that as we enter March. There is an opt-out date for him. God forbid something happens, slip up, or maybe someone supersedes him. Who knows? But uh, he does have a uh, March opt-out date uh, to keep in mind as we head in deeper into this month. So then the guys who could potentially fill that fifth starter spot it's a pretty long list so far because we've seen a lot of good camps so far from a lot of guys. I want to start with Brandon Bailey. Four innings pitch, one earned run. Of course, he has the advantage of being a Rule 5 pick, which means the Orioles are inclined to keep him. They can get, sell him back to his original team for half the price. We saw them do that last year with Drew Jackson. They kept him for just four games, barely got a shot, and then he was already sent back to his original team. They can do that. But I think with the second overall pick in the Rule 5 draft, they probably want to give Brandon Bailey a shot. And so far, he has looked pretty good. Interesting kid. He's uh, short in stature. Yeah. And he does not have a blistering fastball by any stretch. But he has got five pitches. And he's a pretty crafty guy so far from what we've seen. And if he can maybe earn his way into the starting spot, I think he could uh, surprise some teams coming out of the gate. Yeah, and I remember... When we, we you and I talked to him in the uh, Orioles clubhouse when we were down in spring training, and then we saw him throw a bullpen, 
And like you said, kind of short in stature, I don't have his exact height right in front of me, but we were about 5'8". Five, eight. Five, eight. But we kind of saw like, because <laughs> yeah. like you see, I mean, you know, Asher Wojciechowski is a tall dude. John Means is a tall dude. Alex Cobb is a tall, lanky dude. You kind of go, you know, Grayson Rodriguez, big, I mean, you kind of go down the line and you see- Eric Hanhold is yeah. a big dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you saw a bunch of, and then you just see- uh, Bailey. Bailey. And you're like, who's this guy? And, but he's- Pushing, you know, he was he was throwing pretty hard. The velocity's not quite there, but it was like one of the first bullpens of the season, so it wasn't really expecting to be. But he looked good just throwing bullpen. He looked like he kind of belonged. He, he doesn't like physically looks like he belonged, but his stuff looked like he did. It's good to see him have a kind of a good start. And you're like you said, Rule Five guy, he's got to be on the roster or given back to or offered back to his previous organization. So that's something. And you compare it to last year, um, you know, I think him and Michael Rucker. This team, the Orioles team are going to need pitchers. You know, they have a need for an influx of pitchers. So that might help both of these guys in, in order to stay on the roster for longer than we saw uh, Andrew, Drew Jackson last year before he was offered back because Richie Martin basically beat him out for the infield spot. Uh, I, I would like to think that uh, the Orioles might give a longer look to these pitchers because they need pitching. Exactly. So th- the question is, you know, are they willing to throw a guy who has no major league experience into that rotation right out of the gate? I mean, it's not like he's going to have to pitch against the Yankees at home immediately. Right. He probably won't be seen in that first series of the season. But it still is a tough spot going up against AL East competition once every five or six days. If he continues to show that he has that ability to surprise some hitters, keep hitters off balance... Um, I think that they'll keep him in the rotation. I think he has a leg up over the next guys that we're going to talk about. But it's just kind of dangerous because we can see if a guy doesn't totally have great stuff, if he his velocity is not up, he can really get hit around. And you don't want to see his confidence take a dip because he still has a fairly high ceiling and you still like his long-term future. And if you throw him right in that rotation immediately and he gets hit around, his confidence could take a dip. So you don't want to see that. But that being said... He has looked good, and he's earned that right, at least right now, to have a leg up for that fifth starter spot. Absolutely. The other guys in competition for that fifth starter starter spot, uh, Dean Kramer, three and a third innings pitched, zero earned runs. I like what I've seen from Dean Kramer so far. Mm-hmm. He obviously was added to the 40-man roster in the offseason. He got a little taste of AAA last season. Um, he was one of the guys that came back from the Manny Machado trade from L.A., I don't know if he makes the team coming out of the gate just because he does not have a whole lot of experience and because he doesn't have a Rule 5 status. But Dean Kramer is showing that he could potentially be a starter on this team in 2020. Another one of those, uh, well, I guess, handful of pitching prospects that are been here for the Orioles for a while now and that Orioles fans have always heard their, the name pop up every now and then. Um, but kind of expecting, waiting to see when he'll pop come through and break through to the majors. This probably is the year, I would assume. Um, 24 years old, like you said, he's having a pretty decent start to spring, only the one unearned run um, and just over three innings. So, yeah, he's having a strong start. I think that's a good thing to see. The Orioles want to see these guys. I mean, again, we already had our first rounds of cuts um, earlier this week. More along the way. It's nothing to panic over if he doesn't make the, you know, the opening day roster, but... We could probably see him up here at some point, maybe earlier, sooner rather than later, especially if he starts out really well at AAA. And, this, you know, he just might be riding that Norfolk bus a lot this season, which is okay because 
you know, and like we've said multiple times on the podcast, we eventually need to see these guys in major league action. Can only keep them in the minor leagues for so long, and and like I don't want to say stunt their growth, but basically stunt their growth. You got to give them a, sh- a chance in the show. Um, so yeah, uh, just the just the one on run, three hits, more strikeouts and walks. Um, looking pretty strong for Dean Kramer. And the other thing is injuries are always going to happen, obviously. So there will be opportunities at some point and. Trades could happen at some point. Right. You know, we saw Andrew Kashner get dealt well before the deadline last year. That opened up a spot in the rotation. Maybe that could happen this year with a Wade LeBlanc. Um, you know, maybe if Alex Cobb shows that he can be healthy and, and a quality option. Maybe Asher Wojciechowski builds up some tra- trade value and some of these guys end up being sold off. That opens up the spot a spot or two in the rotation. That's a good good point. All right, some other guys. Tom Eshelman has looked good so far. Five innings pitch, just one earned run. Uh, and Michael Rucker, who we talked about as a, a Rule 5 guy, Brandon Bailey was the definitive starter of the two. Rucker was used almost entirely out of the bullpen last year in the minor league system, made just one start. But so far, he's looked quite good. They obviously have just as many holes in the rotation, or in the bullpen, if not more, than they do in the rotation. Right. But... If he shows that he can build up, if, if you know he gets that opportunity where he gets a start or two and he shows he can do that, um, that would be nice to see, and, and maybe he could be a starter down the line. I think at this point they probably view him more as a reliever, Yeah, um, but he still is showing a lot of good signs. All three of his appearances are coming out of the bullpen so far this spring. Kind of telling, he's given up four hits but no runs, and that's what kind of what... You know, you know, obviously you don't want to give up hits, but that's a trend you would like to see out of a reliever in that, okay, you give up guys on base, or maybe you come in with guys on base, but you don't let them score. So four hits over three games, that's also spread out, so that's not too much either, but he's allowed guys on base, but not letting them crossing the plate. I think that's a good sign too, especially for a young guy, a Rule 5 guy who's probably looking for, you know, a bullpen spot. Like you said, he's different than Brandon Bailey in terms of who's probably locked in the rotation. Um, and there might be more spots available in the bullpen where he could slot in. And I could see him, though, making a spot starter or two yeah. there. Yeah, because yeah. um, he's done it before, right? He's, like, in very it, few times. In, but. Tw- in 2018, he was he was mostly a starter. I think he made about 25, 26 starts. Okay. Um, but so last nothing, year... Nothing new to him. Yeah, last yeah. year he made one start, and that was at the AAA level, and he, was, he did just fine. Yeah. So, you know, he could be used in that. And, look, we saw Brandon Hyde have to get, out of necessity, get creative with that the starters and the bullpen. So we could see that again this year. Um, One more guy I do want to mention is Tommy Malone, who of course was a late addition to the Orioles spring training roster, two innings pitch, zero earned runs, a veteran. He's been around the block. Uh, You like what you've seen so far from Tommy Malone. It's almost, I don't want to say they don't have a spot for him, but you wonder exactly how he's going to be used. I think at this point, he's probably, they probably view him more as a reliever than a starter. Um, and that helps their bullpen because they just are, had such a dearth of capable relievers last year. Uh, but Tommy Malone, another guy I think that could fill in and make a spot start here or two. Here, just the, there or two. Yeah, just the one hit and three strikeouts to no walk so far in his only appearance um, in spring. Unfortunately, it feels like this. he might be like a placeholder. Like I could see Tommy Malone being the guy that, yeah, he, may, or he pitches well enough throughout March, breaks camp with the team. But then once we hit April, May, the Orioles – Kind of just have to let him go, and because there's someone ready to come up and take his spot, you know, they might just hold him on as a guy, as a placeholder for between now. Let the minor league season get underway. Um, let those guys, their prospects, build up some innings, before, and then 
bring up some guys uh, to possibly make some some major league starts, like I said earlier. Um, but yeah, Tommy. I mean, he showed nothing to, you know. Deter- I mean, it was kind of like a, you know, yeah, sure, join. So so what you got. You know, there's yeah. no risk here. Um, so he's not, but he's done nothing to show the Orioles that he doesn't belong here. You know, yeah. he hasn't done anything wrong. It's just, you know, he's definitely obviously not a part of the long term future. He's probably just a placeholder for this season and maybe only even like the first half. Yeah, exactly. So those, I think, are the guys so far that first group of guys, top four, pretty much locked in. Next group of guys fighting for that fifth starter spot or a spot in the bullpen. We've seen some struggles from some young guys so far in camp. I think there's three guys so far that I was hoping for a little bit more than. I think Orioles fans were hoping to see a little bit more from, uh, but are at this point on the outside looking in. David Hess has not looked great. Uh, three earned runs in three and a third innings. He talked when he entered camp about kind of recapturing the magic that he had in that amazing start in Toronto mm-hmm. early last year. He has not done that so far. Um, and it's a shame because I think this team and this organization, Michael Elias, has, has given him a ton of opportunities, and they want to see him succeed, but so far he has not shown the ability to, to carve out a role for himself. Yeah, I mean, take that one start in Toronto was his one win last year. He went 1-10 in 10 and had an ERA over 7 um, in 2019. And then not to a great start. Uh, you mentioned the, the three runs over just a little over three innings um, in only two games. You know, Yeah, it's a guy where I think a lot of the people in the front office are rooting for. Obviously, Orioles fans are rooting for because he did show a lot of flash, a lot of potential. And I think you and I said, like, we hope that's not the last chance. This is talking about the yeah. Toronto game last last season. We hope that's not the last chance that David has gets to, like, go for a no-hitter or something because we don't know, you know, he's so young, he's only 26, but that's kind of, like, limbo for pitchers. Like, you're not that old, but you're not that young anymore. You need to kind yeah. of sh- show your stuff. Are you a major leaguer or, or are you not? Um, and so far, David has his kind of – leaning towards the latter and not really showing that he has the stuff to stick around and talk. And then you add on w- all the guys that we just talked about who are showing positives. Yeah. That's kind of leaving David has kind of really behind in terms of um, the competition for not only just a starter spot, but a spot in this pitching arsenal. Yeah. And these next three guys, uh, Bruce Zimmerman, Keegan Aiken and Zach Lowther are three guys that have, Struggled, obviously, similar to Hessens this spring, but they are on the younger side. They don't have any major league experience. So those guys naturally have a leg up over a guy like David Hess. So those three guys, Bruce Zimmerman really struggled so far. Four earned runs in four and two-thirds innings. Keegan Aiken struggled in his time. Four earned runs in four innings pitched. Uh, and then Zach Lowther struggled as well. He's got a 15-4-3 ERA, so four earned runs in two and a third innings. Those guys, I think we saw, just aren't quite ready. And mm-hmm. I think that's perfectly fine. But they got the opportunity, you know, to show that it, it you know, to to work with the major league coaching staff, to to work with uh, the the other guys on this Orioles spring training roster. I think those three guys we could see at some point in twenty twenty, but at this point they're not going to make the the team out of camp. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. And they, it was like. The first round of cuts the Orioles made were it was three infielders and only two pitchers. I think we'll see a little. I mean, they have so you you were there, so many pitchers in that <laughs> yeah. clubhouse. Um, 
I, I think at some point you got to start because there needs to be innings to dish around and because yeah. guys need to be stretched out. You know, like the, the main guys, like we just talked about earlier at the top of the podcast, they need to be stretched out and go longer innings and there's not going to be enough innings to go around. So we'll see some more cuts, probably a lot of pitchers heading back down to the minor league camp because they report, I think today actually, I think today's pitchers and catchers reporting for the minor league camps for the Orioles, which is exciting in and of itself. Yeah. Um, so we'll, once that camp gets full go, I think they have their first full squad workout on Sunday. We'll probably see a lot more arms going down there to, get, one, get their own innings, but two, to also allow the guys who are going to be here to start the season start stretching out a little more. And one guy who is on the outside looking in because he has not had the ability to pitch is Cole Stewart. One of the other guys that was added on a minor league deal in the offseason had some major league starting experience before joining this team. He is going to make his spring training debut on Sunday. So he has kind of missed some time and maybe missed some opportunities. He's still got a couple weeks to make up for it. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he can show. If he shows that he obviously can stay healthy, number one, but if he flashes a little bit over these next couple weeks, is he a bullpen piece? Is he a candidate to jump up and steal that fifth starter spot? Cole Stewart, another guy to keep your eye on. Yeah, definitely. And that game, his debut on Sunday will be on Masson, 1 o'clock against the Yankees. So you hey. can see his uh, first spring training debut and make a decision for yourself. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where. Again, without him, without seeing him pitch, I mean, I guess we have a small track record. I don't know where he'll land or projects to land in this rotation. And we just talked about a bunch of guys that we can kind of figure out where they're going to go. Until we actually see this guy pitch, I'm not sure if we can make a firm decision yet, he'll probably, you know, aim for the rotation, but who, who's to say really? And we'll, and then he's already behind the curve in terms of starting late two weeks into the game. So yeah. we'll see how he can ramp up his innings if he's able to uh, on a quick enough pace to keep up. Exactly. So that's where these guys stand so far. Are there any names, Bobby, that I mentioned that uh, sparked your interest and that you want to talk about right now? Um, just to look at locks. Sure, or even guys that are that are out there. I think the LeBlanc is pretty interesting. Um, again, a guy that is just added to spring training, um, invited in. I, 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 the no innings end. I like that he's non. I mean, sorry, a minor league contract. Just taking a stride and using it as a way to, you know, hey, if I'm here, great. If not, I can have stuff on tape where I could possibly go somewhere else. And I, I would think at this point the Orioles would take him and slot him into the fourth starter spot and that helps with clarity you know the yeah. Brandon Hyde hasn't we're only on March 4th and Brandon Hyde probably has a little more clarity of how his rotation is going to look we talked about the top three all the time hey this guy can probably slide into the fourth spot if he keeps at this pace um, and pitching well that leaves the fifth open and we can do whatever we want there we can try to do openers. We can try to see if someone just grasped it over the last two couple of weeks of spring training. I think Wade LeBlanc has added a lot of clarity to the rotation for Brandon Hyde early on in camp, which I think is a good thing. Absolutely. And that's something that... Unexpected they, clarity. Yeah. And that's something that they didn't have at this point last year. Right. I think that they had, despite the fact that they had Dylan Bundy in the rotation, I think that they... And, and, in, um, and Andrew Kashner. Mm -hmm. I think that they have... Weirdly enough, maybe more major league options, maybe more legitimate options for their starting rotation than they did at this point last year. Yeah. All um, right. Noah Flaherty asking on Facebook Live, has Kashner signed with the team yet? I don't believe so. I haven't seen anything. I don't think. I think he is still out there. Um, but at this point, I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying maybe they should take a look. At this point, 
I don't think that they necessarily need him. And that's what I mean by LeBlanc adding Claire. I mean, unexpected needed Claire. Like, w- this could have dragged on for a couple more weeks where we're like, all right, we, we know who our top three guys in Means, Cobb, and Woj, but who is going to fill four and five? We No one has stepped up and taken that spot yet. Again, it's early, but Wade LeBlanc so far has stepped up and I think solidified himself in that four spot, and that helps Brandon Hyde a lot and Michael Elias in terms of searching for a free agency. You know, he can pass on Andrew Kashner right now because they have four guys that they can count on, and they can try to narrow down the rest of the group into possibly a fifth starter or however way they choose to approach it. Exactly. So it'll be interesting over the next couple weeks to see who emerges. If there are any guys that uh, we have not mentioned, please let us know that you're interested to see from and where these guys end up slotting, whether it be the rotation, the bullpen, not on the roster, anywhere, anywhere that we can The minors. The minors, anywhere that these guys end up. All right. We mentioned it earlier. Eve Rosenbaum, the Orioles' new director of baseball development, sat down with her in Sarasota, Florida. Take a listen. We're joined now on Mass and All Access by Eve Rosenbaum, who is the new director of baseball development with the Baltimore Orioles. Eve, thanks so much for joining us. Sure, no problem. So you come from the Houston Astros organization most recently, but I want to throw it all the way back because you're a Bethesda native who grew up an Orioles fan. What was it like getting the call that you were going to be joining your hometown team? Uh, It was just so surreal. Honestly, it's still surreal to look out from my office and see the field and see the, the center field area with the benches and I can kind of see Boog's barbecue out of the corner of my eye. It's just so crazy. I go back and I look at the family photos we have in our basement. Mm-hmm. That's me and my brothers you know, standing out there in the green seats. We're like six years old. It's just so crazy to look at that photo and I think now I'm helping to, to run the team. And your family was season ticket holders, correct? Yep. Yeah. Like you don't know quite where your section is, yeah. is that right? <laughs> it was, we started off on the first base side. Okay. My dad didn't want to be behind the screen. That was his big thing. Obviously these days, you know, most of the screens extend. Yeah. But I brought my glove to every game because we were out on the first base side. You know, at some point I think we got moved under the overhang because it was hot and rainy. Right, yeah. Uh, and then at some point we moved over to the, to the third base side. Gotcha. Well, now you have the best seat in the house for yeah, every exactly. game. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about uh, your history with the Astros specifically because you worked in the international scouting department for the most part. Yep. Mm-hmm. While you were there, how much did you see international scouting, not just in the Astros organization, but in all of baseball, change yeah. over the years that you were in charge of that? Yeah, yeah. So international scouting is fascinating. Uh, and I, I love it because it's really pure scouting. You're going out and you're watching very young players and you're projecting what they're going to be like in five, ten years. Um, and there's not a lot of information available. But that has started to change. So that's some of the ways that it's changed, uh, which is even five years ago when I started, you would go and you would see the player in person and you would take notes and you put in your report and the team of scouts would get together with their director and, and so forth and make a decision. Uh, and just in the last five years, there's more information creeping up. So it's even simple information about the player's height and weight, about their their parents, where they live, uh, and then all of the new technologies where baseball stats, that's starting to creep into international as well. So you have MLB running showcases, and then they're sending out stats, and they're sending out exit velocities, and they're sending out sprint times. Uh, so there's some more organ- organization coming into it, and there's a little bit of, of the information age is starting to get into international. Uh, it's still harder to get as much information on the international players sure. as you could on, on a pro player or on a player in the draft. Just by the nature of the fact that uh, they're in other countries, they're in the Dominican Republic, they're in Colombia, they're in Venezuela, uh, they're very young 
uh, they're 15, 16 years old. So it's just it's just harder to collect good quality information. Yeah. Uh, another big change though has been the shift to younger players. So you can sign international players when they turn 16 mm -hmm. years old. Uh, but you start scouting them when they're a lot younger. Yeah. So when I first started five years ago, we were scouting 15 and 16 year olds, and then the industry has sort of shifted, and now you have some teams who scout 12 year olds and 13 year olds. Um, but that definitely there's a lot more teams who are doing sort of 14 and 15 year olds as opposed to 15 and 16 year olds, because uh, it's pretty rare to see a player sign after he turns 16. Right. Uh, pitchers do, because velocity tends to come on later for mm -hmm. pitchers. So pitchers sign when they're 17, 18, but position players, for the most part, are signing when they're 16 years old. And not just the velocity, but I think of, I am a very different person now than I was yeah. when I was 14, 15 years old. And yep. obviously these players are growing physically, they're maturing. How difficult is it to look five, six, seven years down the line when you're scouting somebody who's 12 or 13 years old? Yeah, it's definitely, it's very difficult. So that's why you want to have experts in the field. So for us, we have Kobe Perez, who's leading our international scouting team, and he's got a lot of very experienced scouts there, and they've been doing it for a long time. So they have a good idea of how players grow, how players progress, of the types of challenges that they're going to face in the United States, and who's got like the personality to deal with that. Uh, so you have the scouts who really, really help out with that. And then there's sort of, you know, kind of new age ways to try and do it as well. You know, take some measurements on players, you know, how hard they hit. And then you have a specific number of how hard they're hitting the ball at a certain age. And maybe you can, it gives you just more information to inform your, your sort of estimate of where they might be when they're a major leaguer. So it's, it's very, very difficult, but kind of some of the things that have helped people draft better are trying to trying to apply that to 14, 15, 16 year olds, uh, you know, it's a lot harder because they're, they're a lot younger and they have so much more development room left. Right. Now you were focused mostly on the Latin American market. How much time did you spend in other countries as opposed to back in Houston or back in the States working with the player development or mm -hmm. the uh, front office directly? Yeah. So I was based uh, in, the, in the front office in Houston, but I was in the Dominican Republic a lot. I think it probably averaged about like one full week every six weeks or okay. so. Because uh, there'd be some times when I would go down and I'd do two weeks in a row, or I'd do a week there and then come back for three days and go back for another week. And then sometimes around spring training, I'd spend like two solid months uh, in, in the States without traveling. So I think it probably averaged about a week or 10 days every six weeks. Uh, so that was going to the Dominican. So I was there a lot. Okay. Uh, the, the, the people at the hotel there know me by name. They give me a great room. Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, and then I would also go to Aruba and Colombia okay. some. So that's because Venezuela is a huge producer of talent. But because of the political and economic situation in Venezuela right now, you can't go there. So all the Venezuelan trainers started moving their players to other countries and okay. were putting on showcases in other countries. So I ended up going to, to Colombia and Aruba mostly for that. Uh, and then I would spend a little bit of time in Mexico as well, scouting players in the Mexican League. Uh, I didn't get to go to Cuba. That, that There's actually a ban on MLB personnel going to Cuba really? to scout. Uh, and then just, there's always events going on in Florida as well, because Miami is so close. Miami is such a, there's such a Latin population there. So I found myself in the Miami, sort of Fort Lauderdale area a lot. Gotcha. So you were all over the place, truly. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned Kobe Perez earlier. Obviously, you haven't been in this organization for too long, but what have you learned so far being in this organization about how 
the Orioles specifically under Kobe Perez have bolstered their international scouting department. Yeah, so from what I've seen, it just went from almost nothing to a fully functioning department. You know, he has the specific number of scouts. I think he's hired seven and when he came in. It was him and, and maybe one or two other guys. And now we're signing players. We just signed a bunch of players about a month ago, and we're scouting, you know, the 15-year-olds and the 14-year-olds and really building up our, our database, our knowledge of these players. So it's like a, a drastic change from what I can tell. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So in terms of your current role with the team, being the director of baseball development, how much does that differ from your previous role in Houston? Yeah, so it's definitely different in that in Houston, I was 100% focused on international and international scouting. And here I'm focused on uh, international, but then also the draft and then pro scouting as well. And really uh, what underlies all of those in terms of our, our strategy and our methodology, so sort of our philosophy of how we want to evaluate players in those markets and then what tools are available to us. So I'm working on building up the, the digital infrastructure uh, and building out you know, tools that our R&D department can, they can research and learn things and then they can develop it and turn it into this really cool tool and then our scouts are able to utilize that to make more informed decisions. So I've gone from being 100% focused on international in scouting to mm -hmm. focusing on, on all areas of scouting and working. More recently, I've been doing uh, work on pro transactions because that's what's going on right now. You know, we're filling up our, our roster and getting ready for the season. Right. And then I anticipate shifting more toward the draft as that approaches. Uh, and then during the season, I'll be also working with our player development staff in terms of what they're learning on the field about the players okay. and then taking that information back and making sure that we're incorporating that knowledge when we when we draft players and when we sign players in international. Interesting. So obviously the idea of player development that is helped by baseball development has mm -hmm. had a huge boom, I think, over the past few years. How have you seen player development change as well in that area, helped by the new technology? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, I'm sure Matt Blood has tons and tons of knowledge <laughs> that he can, he can supply on that. I think the big thing that I've seen, uh, you know, if you remember, uh, you know, Moneyball, right? And then I think this is one of the scenes in the movies where, you know, Billy Bean is saying, uh, not Billy Bean, Brad, Brad Pitt. Well, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same difference. Yeah, right. Uh, he's saying, you know, they scouted me based on my potential and who I could become, but really what was important was, like, who I was. Uh, so there was a kind of a big shift, I, I think, from like you know projecting players to then focusing on uh, who is the player now. What do his stats say? Right. Uh, you know we can't project him too far because if you look at all the stats from college or the minors, like it you know tells us who he is. Mm -hmm. And now it's like a it's like a mixture because teams are so good at developing players and sort of unlocking abilities that players have, but no coach has been able to do it before. And, whether that's from good coaching or it's a new technology that gives you insight into the player's body in a new way. Uh, I think it's this mix now of projecting who players are going to be and seeing who they've been in the past. And in particular, when that comes to international scouting, when you're scouting a guy who's yeah. 12, 13 years old, and then you can't really get your hands on developing him until he's in the organization at 16 or 17 years mm -hmm. old, how difficult is that to you know, you, you make an agreement or you, you have an idea that this is a guy that we want to pursue. And then in four years, he might mm -hmm. be a very different player because he wasn't developed right or he was developed a different way than yeah. you might have. 
Is that a challenge as well? Yeah, that can be. Yeah, and that's one of the, you know, the risks of the teams who commit players at a very young age, who go out and commit players at 12, 13, 14, because they're, they're making a commitment to pay this player a lot of money, but mm -hmm. then they don't get their hands on him for two or three years. So that's one exactly. of the risks that, that those teams take. Uh, you know, apart from that, you're just sort of looking back and hoping that the agent takes care of the player and you can kind of go and check on the player yourself and, and just say like, hey, how are your workouts going? How are you eating? You can kind of provide advice on the side, but nothing official. Interesting. It's all very fascinating. And yeah, it's it is. stuff that, you know, I think a lot of the typical baseball fans obviously don't get to see or hear about on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. but it's going on under the surface and yep. then you find out they signed 30 guys and all yeah. of a sudden these guys are members of the organization. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, it's so great to have you sit down here on Mass and All Access, just several months into the organization, but getting your first taste of uh, Sarasota baseball yeah, as well. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure, no problem. Eve Rosenbaum, Director of Baseball Development, sitting down with us here on Mass and All Access. That was O's Director of Baseball Development, Eve Rosenbaum, from Sarasota, Florida. Another one of the many people that Michael Elias has added to this front office to promote development in every way. And obviously, player development is something that he's worked on as well. We talked to Matt Blood down in Sarasota on a couple podcasts ago mm -hmm. talking about player development. But baseball development is kind of a different side of things. It's basically keeping up with the rest of baseball, making yeah. sure that you have the newest technology and that the player development side is equipped with everything they need to be to be the best that they can be. Finding new ways to improve your players, finding new ways to scout players, all that kind of stuff. Two things stick out to me. One, it's crazy how many trips she makes to the DR. Wild. Just so many trips to the DR, which is like good for her. That's where she needs to be in, yeah. in terms of the, that, that, that portion of the job. Two, I really, and this is a small, small thing, I really love that she... Grew up an Orioles fan and yeah. is from the area. I think, I don't know, as a fan, I love seeing people who grew up rooting for the team and from the area start working for the team because you know they yeah. care about it at a deep, deep level, not just a professional level, but like a personal level. They care about their job. I think it's a small thing that I just, I really, I really enjoy that. Yeah. I'm glad that she's a, a huge Orioles fan as well. Similar to Mike Elias, how he grew up going exactly. to games, um, you know, and of her generation, she grew up watching Cal Ripken, mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy to think about that, you know, <laughs> she's pretty, still pretty young. Yeah, yeah. That she, that was her era in watching baseball, but now she is helping to run the team. Uh, another very bright, uh, a uh, person in the Orioles front office who has a, a a big role in shaping this team of the future. That just about does it for the Mass and All Access podcast, of course, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student-athletes and programs today. He's Bobby Blanco at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. I'm at Paul Mancano on Twitter. Check us out. Give us a like, a subscribe, a review wherever you see us. Thanks to Emmy Jennings, our producer. We'll see you later.